I'm Todd McKay. This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. And today, we've got an interview for you, something a little bit different. We've got Matt Bufton. He's the Executive Director uh, for the Institute of Liberal Studies. It's an organization that uh, puts on a lot of events at universities and colleges across Canada, talks about a lot of important talk, uh, uh, topics. You know, here at the Taxpayers Federation, we talk about really the impact of political philosophy a lot, the policies that hit you in the wallet. Matt kind of goes a, a little bit deeper on things. So I'm going to bring him in here. Matt, first, I'm going to ask you that hard hitting question. I'm going to come right after you, man. You run an organization called the Institute of Liberal Studies. So I've got to ask, why are you absolutely in love with studying the Liberal Party of Canada? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a tough question. Uh, but of course, as I like to say, we are, we are not just in Trudeau Liberals or, uh, or Paul Martin Liberals. We are Adam Smith and, uh, and Milton Friedman Liberals. Uh, it's what the name you know, originally meant. It's what I think it should mean. And we're trying to bring it back. So talk about that a little bit. What's the distinction? When people talk about liberals, they're often talking about a political party, essentially. You're really talking about uh, an ideology, a really base level line of thinking. Talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. So, I mean, liberalism really emerges, uh, you know, people will cite John Locke, that's sometimes controversial. Certainly someone like Adam Smith is definitely a liberal, uh, although I don't think he ever used the term to describe himself. He would talk about liberal policies, liberal regimes, liberal programs and, and ideas. And of course, liberal, it's a Latin uh, root and it just means freedom and, and liberty and to, you know, basically get a laissez-faire, if you want to bring a little French into it, have the government step back, take their hands off. Uh, and of course, uh, for much of human history, whether they've been really a government or not, whoever's in charge, there are no constraints on what they can do to you. Uh, we are lucky in Canada to be part of the inheritors of that long history that really kind of starts with Magna Carta, uh, when society sort of says, you know, the person who's in charge, in our case, the government, can't do whatever they want. It's a long process and it flows you know, through history. It's really interesting you know, thought and ideas and field. And you have a problem in the early 20th century where there's a sort of divergence in liberals. And so you have some people, I would call them the true and proper liberals who wanna continue that sort of laissez-faire program. And you have other people who want to sort of expand what they see as freedoms have been won by then having government step in and not just protect negative freedoms, but also grant positive freedoms. Now, I think that's a bit of a mistake. I have lots of friends who believe that sort of way, but the actual original liberalism is about freedom and respecting individual liberty, entrepreneurship, and all those great things. Right. Man, you're, you're classing up this uh, podcast a bit. We've had French on before. I think this uh, Latin is the first, you know? Oh, well, so there you go. That, that, that's my goal. <laughs> okay. So listen, uh, I think it's pretty clear from the gray of my beard uh, university. Uh, that's a while ago for me uh but you too. yeah but i don't remember back in the day when i was at university a lot of talk about lower taxes or more accountable government certainly not smaller government i don't remember a lot of conversation about that in the classroom back in the day what's the culture like in universities today when we're talking about some of these uh, topics of liberty and smaller government 
Well, you know, it's an interesting uh, question. It's a bit of a mix. And certainly it is the case that a lot of students, a lot of classrooms, you know, political science and law classrooms across the country, there's a real emphasis on using government to solve all of our problems. And that's really a big part of the impetus for the creation of the Institute for Liberal Studies, to have a conversation about not using government to solve all of our problems. And this goes across a whole sphere of areas. So some of these things such as as, uh, you know, getting the government out of uh, social programs, uh, looking for private alternatives and things like education and healthcare. Those can be pretty controversial on a campus. So a lot of professors are not real necessarily keen on, on those sorts of ideas. But of course, there's lots of areas where we can get the government out of things that actually appeals to many people on, on campus, even if they're a bit on the left. Things like, you know, liberalized immigration, liberalized drug laws, uh, liberalized rules, around uh, you know, pornography and, and things like that. So it's, it's a mixed bag and there's some things that really appeal to people intrinsically and there's other things that you have to make a case for. But what we really see is that people have never considered these ideas a lot of the time. We think there's real value in bringing those debates to people and so they can hear both sides of the issue. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of these problems, the very first thing people say is what's the government doing about it? And it's not just on one side of the political spectrum. It's on both sides a lot of days. What's the government going to do? I think you're raising the question that maybe the answer is nothing. It should just stay out of the way. And uh, that's at least, a, at least an option we need to consider sometimes. When you're at universities, why do you think it is? I think it's particularly acute at universities where big government solutions are often the first, uh, the first tool uh, reached for. Why do you think that is? I think that's a natural just sort of uh, you know, reaction, and especially in our sort of uh, you know, modern society in, in Canada and countries like us where people just assume the government is going to do all sorts of things. Uh, and it's really a, a big explosion in the size of the state across the 20th century. If you go back about you know, 150 years to, to the founding of Canada, uh, we had you know, pretty minimal uh, government education, healthcare, even roads and some of these things uh, you know, were not done by the state. Now they're completely done by the state. And it's hard for us to imagine alternatives. And this is a problem for you know, libertarians or classical liberals like me. People are interested in like, well, surely we would just wouldn't have education for poor people if we didn't have government education. And so it's important, I think, to look at the, the intellectual ideas, the papers, the studies. There's all sorts of interesting stuff being done on what the alternatives might be if we didn't have government doing all of these things. But it, when you've never seen it, we've grown up in a country like we have where government does so much and is so persuasive, it's sort of an interesting thought experiment to imagine how might things be different. It is an interesting thought. I, that takes me to uh, here in Saskatchewan, uh, for example, we had government liquor stores uh, for a long time. And a number of years ago, we pointed out they actually had regulations about which liquor stores could have beer in the fridge and sell it cold versus which ones would be sold warm. It doesn't sound right to me. It should all be cold. But surely to goodness, we don't need the government to tell us which beer should be cold and warm. I feel like this is stuff that we can figure out on our, on our own. But it's actually a little bit of a culture shock. Do you see what's that like when you when you come up against that in the spheres you uh, you work in where you say, hey, you know what, maybe the government just shouldn't be part of this solution at all. Describe the looks on people's faces when you come come at it like that. 
Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, it's, for some people, it's the first time they've ever really thought about it. And we have sort of a mix. You know, some of the students that come to our events are of that first type. They've just never thought about this. And the fact that someone would suggest that we would do something without the government, and I'll throw in the fact that a lot of immigrants to Canada are very surprised that we have state liquor stores in many provinces because they from, come from countries where we don't have that. And they just assume that you can open a store and, and sell some beer. And of course, that's not generally the case in Canada. But then there's a the second type. Yeah, we have students who are more familiar with uh, with free market, classical, liberal, libertarian ideas. And they come because they want to talk about what these sort of alternatives might look like. And in some cases, people are really interested in the more hands-on solution. Like, is there a way that we can actually do this and provide some competition in, cares, in areas where the government is not providing a good level of service? Okay. So we've been talking about the realm of ideas, dabbled in a little bit of Latin here. Let's take it down to a little bit more uh, concrete uh, level. What does it look like? When you go to work, uh, you just did a big conference. I know it's a little weird during the, the pandemic. So, but what does it look like? What are you, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So uh, right now, a lot of it's on Zoom. But what we do is during the school year, uh, in a normal you know, non-pandemic time, we would be visiting campuses, we would be bringing in guest speakers, many of them are professors. We have a really fabulous network of professors who are really passionate about sharing ideas and, and talking to students. And one thing that we can do is bring a professor to campus who you know is based on that campus, will have some ideas that are a bit different from the professors that students might hear. One of my favorite times of the year, we just up a second virtual Freedom Week, but hopefully next year we'll be back to our in-person Freedom Week. Those are summer seminars. We do them for a week long on a campus. We bring in a group of usually about 40 to 50 students. And what makes it really special is everybody wants to be there. They want to come and talk about ideas. And some of the kids who are there are already interested in sort of these alternative government solutions. But some of them are skeptical, but they want to talk about them and learn. We had a few Marxists come in and they say, you know, I don't think I agree with this, but it seems so wild and crazy. I just wanted to see what it's about. And, and those students are really great. What I think makes Freedom Week so special is every student in the classroom wants to be there. They're sort of bought into the idea of intelligent and civil and respectful discourse about ideas and what our society could or should look like. And it's not like a normal university classroom where, you know, half or, or maybe more of the students are there to get the credit, to get the degree. People are there purely for the love of talking about ideas. And I think that's a really special atmosphere. Yeah, if I think back to my time in university, uh, not only was I checked out of some classes, uh, I didn't show up to some either. You know, this sounds like these kids are really uh, are really buying into it. It's interesting to hear that you've got people coming because they disagree, but want to think through their ideas. Tell me a little bit more about uh, these students themselves. What kind of what kind of people are they? What kind of uh, uh, programs are they in? It's not uh, it's not the stereotype you think of when you think of uh, colleges and universities. It's not the parties. What what kind of thing? Uh, what are these kids like? Well, sometimes I will affectionately say, like, we're looking for nerds. We're looking for the students who want to come to lectures they don't have to come to. They're not going to get any credit. Uh, we don't have any sort of lavish uh, dinners or, or cocktail parties or anything, although we do, you know, uh, provide residences and meals and, and things like that when students are coming for a longer 
term program. A lot of them are students in political science. That's probably the most common one, but we get a lot of students who are studying philosophy or economics too. And again, it's, it's a really nice thing to have students who are attracted by the atmosphere of talking about ideas. Uh, they don't tend to be too partisan in, in the sense of being you know, really bought into just wanting to destroy someone else's argument. What you get is a lot of interesting conversations where people want to hear out someone who's got a different viewpoint talk about it and we can provide a forum for that and also some really great sort of intellectual substance with some of the professors that we're able to bring in. For sure. Okay, so the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we've actually got a campus organization as well called Generation Screwed uh, and it, it basically is just giving uh, uh, students an opportunity to raise concerns about the debt, especially because they're the ones going to be paying it off uh, for a long time. I know a lot of our folks uh, have worked with uh, with you guys as well. Tell me a little bit about that uh, that interaction and, and how it dovetails together. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really nice because, as you say, there are these opportunities for students. Uh, not enough students sometimes know about these things, and, and so they're really excited to find that out. But I've done a number of talks to Generations Root Clubs on campuses, uh, you know, some local and, and with Zoom actually been able to do some you know, virtual visits across the country and Saskatchewan's actually the one province that I've never visited but I did host an event uh, at the University of Saskatchewan virtually this this past year so it's really nice we're always looking for student groups who are interested in, in you know, either learning about our programs or even hosting guest speakers because sometimes what we'll do is find a group and we've done this with a number of generation screwed clubs but also they can be clubs like students for liberty or just a economics club or a political science student society and we'll say we would like to sponsor a guest speaker for you guys and we know you're a student club and buying a plane ticket and a couple nights in a hotel room might be a bit of a challenge on on the student club budget we can provide some funding for that sort of thing those are always really nice to be able to you know again bring out a speaker that students are really interested in talking to and wouldn't normally have the opportunity to meet in that way so one of the things I think about campus organizations, there's sort of a spectrum. Some are uh, on all, all sides of things on all topics. Some really focus on activism. Some focus on training. Uh, we do a lot of training with uh, Generation Screwed uh, kids, teaching them how to do freedom of information requests, stuff like that. But I find it really interesting. You're going way deeper than that. You're talking about the philosophical roots of liberty, going back to Adam Smith and uh, those really foundational points. On one hand, I think it's easy to dismiss that as saying, you know what, come on, man, give them some real world skills. Who cares what Adam Smith said? But you, you're dedicating your life to going down to that really base level. Why is that? Why is that so important? Well, for one, it's great fun. I think I have one of the best jobs in the world. I get to spend time talking to professors who really have interesting things to say and, and love giving talks. And, and again, we get to pick them sort of on the basis of people who are really good in the classroom. But even more than that, I get to talk to students who are really interested in this. And, and many of them are so excited to have found these sorts of opportunities. So it's great fun. And, and I can't believe I get to do this for a living. But more important than that is the fact that this is like a really vital sort of thing. So I'm a bit of a political cynic, as many of my friends will uh, will tell you. And for someone, uh, you know, students sometimes get involved in like political clubs on campus and they get very wound up in the, the battle of the day-to-day -day politics, right? And these are all well-meaning people who, who believe in, you know, advancing a cause. 
but often they don't take a lot of time to study first principles. And I think that's a really important, whether you're talking about being active in a partisan political sense, or even just a person who's interested in the world around you. I think you really want to be grounded in some fundamental things. You don't want to be looking around and trying to make up your mind on every issue as, as it comes at you. It's good to have an idea of the thinkers who came before us, the people that read and, uh, and, and wrote and, and said things, and to be able to sit down and spend that time with ideas. And really, I mean, I think that's what a university education should be about. So that's the best time. I mean, you and I both have families and kids, and we're not necessarily finding the time to dig into a book like The Wealth of Nations. But we can buy copies of that book. We can put it in the hands of a bunch of 20-year-olds, and they actually have the time and the interest and the energy to work through that talk about it with each other. And it's a really rewarding thing to watch that happen. And I think it helps people really develop both intellectually, but also to some extent personally. Oh, for sure. Listen, uh, I'm uh, perhaps embarrassed to say I didn't read the, the Wealth of Nations until I was well into my 30s. I'd already done lots of work in, in this line of work and uh, I hadn't read the foundational stuff. It makes such a difference to uh, to see that stuff and and have that basis. Okay, so we've talked about students, but let's be honest, a lot of us aren't students anymore. Uh, but you still got some help for us. You've got a podcast called The Curious Task. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So The Curious Task is a podcast we launched in the summer 2019. Uh, it's hosted by my colleague, Alex Aragona, uh, and it's a one-hour interview podcast. And as you say, one of the great things about it is people can get it wherever they are. So many of the speakers that we bring into a university campus and, and giving a talk in a classroom will not necessarily be accessible to everybody, but we can record a one-hour-long interview with that person put that up on the podcast and people can listen to it no matter where they are. So if you're interested in the sorts of ideas, and I sometimes describe what we do to people and say, oh, I wish I'd known about you guys when I was a student. I wish I was a student again. Well, we can't turn back time, but I can tell you, you can subscribe to The Curious Task. You can hear some of those ideas uh, and get an idea of some of the content that our students are consuming. Uh, and I think it's a really good use of an hour. Uh, it comes out every Wednesday morning. Yeah, actually, I find it really relaxing. This podcast, we're often dealing with the stuff happening like right now, broke this morning, happening next week, the votes coming up two months from now, like it gets a little uh, feels like you're drinking too much coffee, almost you get jittery. But then when I take a step back and listen to the curious task, I'm like, you know what, a lot of people have been thinking about a lot of these problems for a long time. We can probably take a step back and think it through. What's your favorite episode? I'm going to put you like right on the spot here. Oh, that, that which, is one, a, which one do you like the best? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, so uh, episode 40 is an interview with uh, Pete Becky. He's an economist. It's called What is the Curious Task of Economics, uh, which is a quote by uh, Friedrich Hayek. And I, I should probably give the context. So Hayek said, the curious task of economics is to teach men the limits of that which they imagine they can design. And it's part of his sort of you know, career based on cautioning people about the idea that you can sort of form society and form others and, and you know, make them go in the direction that you want according to your 
your master plan. Uh, Pete Becky is one of the most interesting, I think, economic coordinator uh, commentators uh, around today, and it's such an interesting episode. It's a little bit longer uh, than uh, than some of our other episodes. Uh, those to, who know uh, Pete Becky will know that he's got a lot of interesting to say and we things to say, and we couldn't cram it all into an hour. That's a really great one. I'll, I'll throw out one more if I can do like a cheater and and give you two. Uh, Kevin Vallier, a philosopher at Bowling Green State University, has an interview with us, and I forget the episode number, but he talks about uh, civil uh, society and discourse in an episode uh, titled Must Politics Be War? And if listeners are interested in this idea of, you know, having polite civil discourse with people who disagree with your political ideas, rather than being each other's throats all the times, which it seems like so many people are these days, that episode with Kevin Valley is also a great one. Oh, man, that's probably required listening for me. I well, you know, uh, people have been trying to tell me to be more polite for a long time. So I feel like uh, that could be a part of my development. Uh, listen, I enjoy that podcast. I will say, I, listen, people should listen to it. I think they're going to find some stuff that they agree with. I'll bet you dollars to donuts you're going to find something you disagree with as well. Absolutely. But that's a good thing. If you're only listening to things you agree with, you're not getting any smarter. You're uh, You're just listening to yourself think, really. It's important to listen to the other side of things as well. Absolutely. And like I said, I think that really embodies the sort of spirit of, of the programs the Institute for Liberal Studies is about. We're not about creating an echo chamber. You know, we do have a point of view, but we want to get in people who agree with us, people who disagree with us. People are still making up their minds and have a conversation. OK, so I want to bring it back to the students. That's really what you're what you're focused on. A lot of times as you get older, you're like, ah, oh, things are going, they're going downhill. These kids these days, you start, I'm finding myself being that old, the kids these days. But how optimistic are you about uh, the next generations coming up? I mean, I try to be optimistic. Uh, I am uh, of an age where I'm also falling into sometimes the, you know, the kids these days trap and, and that's, that can be dangerous. But there's nothing that makes me as you know optimistic and happy as having a positive interaction with a bunch of kids who are really interested and having conversations and discussing ideas at a level that I certainly was not uh, talking and taking place at 20, 21 years old. So it is it's so refreshing to know that there are people out there who really want to learn from each other, who want to have discussions. And I think it's probably an artifact of social media, the internet, and the sort of age we live in. There's a, you know, a controversy on campus, something bad happens, and we all know about five minutes later, thanks to Twitter, right? And that keeps on happening. That can form your impression of what things are like. And so I'll just say that I think that for every one incident that happens like that, there's a hundred or a thousand much more pleasant incidents where people you know, in the classroom have a friendly debate or disagreement, uh, but at yeah, the level of ideas. Um, and that's what universities should be about. That happens all the time. No one records that and puts it on Twitter. So you're not going to see that. And that's going to sort of warp our idea of what campuses are like today. Yeah, it's so good to know. Listen, uh, curious people keep chatting with each other. That's happened throughout history. It's good to see it continuing to happen. And we need more of that. So listen, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for, uh, for chatting with us today. For all of you listening, check out the Curious Task podcast. 
So we're going to put a link right in the show notes here to episode 40. That's Matt's favorite one. He hates all the other ones. That's the only one. I'm just kidding. He likes that one. I'm sure there are many other good ones. Uh, we're going to put it right in the show notes so uh, so you can check it out. Thanks so much uh, to, for listening uh, today. And uh, Matt, thanks again. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, President of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.